0: Hi, and welcome to the Team Deacons podcast. This podcast is a dialogue between Roger and James Deacons, joined by Matt Wyman, starting from a submitted question and ending who knows where. We're also joined by guests on occasion. We're connecting through Zoom, so bear that in mind when you hear the audio. If you'd like to submit a question, please do so by emailing podpod.com. At Rogerdeacons.com. Today's episode is the first of three parts on animation. In this part, Roger and I will talk about our experience in animation. In part two, we'll have the head of layout and lighting from our current animation project. And part three, we'll introduce the director of the three How to Train Your Dragon movies, Dean DuBlois. So let's start first with our um, path in animation how we got started. Pixar contacted us because they had a film that they were doing called WALL-E.
1: Yes. before that though, before that Pixar oh. contacted us to, yeah. to do a demo.
0: What you didn't know and what they told us afterwards is that they yeah. contacted us just to see
1: yeah.
0: what we were like before they decided whether they were gonna do this on Wally or not. So it was kind of hey. like a little audition that we didn't know. Well we about. didn't
1: know that. I and thought it was probably um going there to do a masterclass. class. Remember they had a little mm-hmm. set on a lot of lights and uh, it was um it was to demonstrate lighting different situations on the set. And it was very strange because there was a lot of animators there. And I remember I did a demonstration what i thought they might think film lighting was right do you remember yes
0: i do remember this and
1: so i did a very conventional well not conventional, a very old-fashioned nowadays um key light fill light backlight kicker you know little lights and flags and i built up this whole sort of lighting schematic for this little scene we did on this set. And it probably took about 25 minutes. And and then I, I couldn't do any more. I started laughing. And I said, the reason I'm laughing is because you're taking this serious, but this is not how I light at all. This is how I think you think I light, but I don't. And then I pan the camera around to uh, like a little practical that was out in the, it was like a little work lamp, a little bare bulb. And an electrician I've been working with me was sort of leaning on it as he was watching what was going on. And they panned the camera to him being lit by this light. And I said, that's more like how I light. What I've been doing is how you think I light, but I don't like that.
0: And then you went on from there.
1: And then I went on from there and took down all these flags and lamps and cutters and cougar and all the sort of rigmarole that one used to go through probably in the 50s doing a black and white movie, you know. And um, I started again with bounce light and the kind of thing that I usually kind of do, you know. That was fun. They all laughed. I really enjoyed it. But, yes, <laughs> I didn't realize it was um,
0: audition. an
1: audition. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, um, after that, they came to us and explained that they were doing this uh, film or animated piece, Wally, and the beginning was something that they really wanted to look realistic and different. So um, they asked if we would um, consult with them. And we said yes, and it was interesting because that was the first time, and one of the first times, I guess, anybody had really done this, so we didn't know how to work. And we did go up a couple of times. We weren't actually as involved as we are now, but that was because we were just trying to figure it out. But um, we did do tests with them to show them what different lenses looked like because in animation you can have any kind of lens, but we were showing them film camera lenses, so we actually shot some stuff with them at Pixar, which was fun, and then looked at the opening sequence when they're on this trash-filled world of Earth and um, talked with the production designer, right?
1: Yeah, well, actually, we we started. They They had... Got in a load of equipment from Panavision, if you remember.
0: Yes, I do. They man. had
1: a dolly and tracks and a Panaflex and all a series of lenses, and they were trying to figure out what makes a live action film look like a live action film, and you know how the camera moves um, in 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 a kind of mechanical way, and they wanted Andrew Stanton wanted the feeling of a live action film for the whole of Wally but mostly in particular the opening sequence yeah. wasn't it
0: and it was interesting because in the past with animation you can move the camera any which way but you couldn't in real life because you've got dolly tracks you can't go over there or whatever so we spent some time looking at stuff with them going well but how does that happen in real life you you couldn't make that camera move and i think it was quite illuminating to them to ha- sort of restrictive to them but what they wanted to do on this
1: yes but I mean, there was also the whole idea of cutting because a lot of animated films both then and now um don't tend to cut in the way that a live action film does you know going mm-hmm. to reactions and over the shoulders and singles and you know the whole the whole language of live a live action film So it was kind of interesting discussing that, but then also the idea of lighting it and not lighting certain things, you know, because again, animation kind of, I suppose, like a lot of live action comedy um, was used to seeing every corner of the frame. Everything was lit and everything was saturated. And again, Andrew wanted something that was a little bit more naturalistic, but risky, also a bit more expressive, I suppose. So we spent, um, we went up to actually Pixar quite a few times. And it started off by just doing still frames of kind of environmental images of, of the world, of the earth in the future that was, you know, basically a trash dump. And it was playing with the way that the light would fall on it, how much atmosphere we could use, how, how it could have layers of depth you know, and and then we were, so it was, it was sitting with the, the the guys that were doing the lighting, and it was sitting also with the guys that were doing the layout and figuring out camera movements and and um, how the camera helps express the the atmosphere, the mood, the telling of the story from scene to scene.
0: Yes, and on that one, it was all in person, and we would go up to Pixar. So because of our schedule and their schedule sometimes we couldn't make it because we were somewhere else on a film. So in the next project that we did, which was Rango, we moved forward and we did a lot remotely, which allowed us to be more present in the project. And that was with ILM and they created a VPN. So we could download the images and Roger could play with them and change them slightly if he thought the light should be coming from a different side or whatever so we did it that way for rango
1: yeah but again the the initial um workflow on on rango was us going up to ilm in san francisco and working with tim alexander and his team and doing doing reference images so as soon as we had the character of rango in a rough animation we took certain kind of landscape certain situations like you know a hot high sun desert landscape a sort of late day low sun landscape a moonlit landscape you know that uh any and an, an interior uh day interior and a night interior and we took these sort of visual references and played with the kind of way that it would be lit i mean both for kind of creative reasons but also, just technically how they were going to do it, because at that time, the software was still, I mean, it's always in development, but very much so then they didn't have software that necessarily reflected the way I would light in live action, like the amount of soft light that you could do and kind of double bounce or triple bounce, you know.
0: Well, they basically didn't have software that um, reflected really the way that light actually works.
1: Yes, because it just. Really you know, took too much computer power, right. didn't it? You know, yeah. simple as that.
0: And for them to create a bounce, they'd set the main light, and then they'd have to set another light light that was coming back up as right. the bounce. Yeah, yes. so a very non-intuitive way of uh, lighting. Yes.
1: It was like they were lighting with a lamp and diffusion, or multiple sources rather than actually doing a bounce. That was right. You know, going
2: back even to Wally, what about it attracted you guys? What was uh you know working in live action for 30 years what made you think that a you could do a good job in something that was so maybe foreign but still with your principles and lighting but what excited you about it or why did you even really take the job and work in animation
1: well it really was going to do that seminar and talking to andrew and meeting meeting with the people that we were going to be involved in and and knowing the script. I mean, right. I thought the script was great. The yeah. feeling of creating that futuristic world. I mean, I have done a lot of science fiction and I love science fiction. So and, it, everything was a, a kind of attractive, really. And it?
0: and it also was a brand new area and it, it had yeah. to do with visuals, but it was stuff that we didn't know anything about. So in that respect, it was a challenge and fun.
1: And also, it was <laughs> it was like I mean, I like doing tutorials. I like going to you know film schools and and doing seminars and meeting people that, and I love you know getting outside ideas and and we also did think that the way that live action was going I and mean, it's obviously gone since it's, it gets more and more towards the world of computer animation and that that you know the discipline one embraces the other in a way. So we thought, well, it make, make, made a lot of sense to get involved, nice people, kind of interesting story, and and, and it would just be interesting, you know. Uh, so then when Gore Vabinsky called up about, you know, when Gore had done some amazing movies, uh, but he was when he rang up, and I met with him, or we met with him, and he was saying he was doing this animation. I was like, Oh, well, wow and then to hear him talk about it it was really um
0: also yeah. because in rango what they were trying to do was really push and yeah. and do something very very different uh visually well so it was that very was much
1: uh, very much a live action piece of filmmaking mm-hmm. even to the extent we had um we had a virtual set and we'd walk through it with uh, like camera capture so we could look at the shots on a virtual set with the actors you know with virtual actors I mean, that was pretty wonderful. I'd never seen that before. I mean, obviously, we've seen it quite a lot since on different animations, but but that was quite um, cutting edge on, on the days doing Rango.
0: And it's interesting because it was through ILM, who's also very big in visual effects, so the two do cross over yes. at times. Yes, well,
1: Tim has worked on Gore's mm-hmm. a, f- a lot of the effects that uh, he's done in live action and stuff. So, again, it's a mixture of the two disciplines, really, yeah.
0: And then we went to DreamWorks. We did five uh, animated pieces with DreamWorks. We did the three How to Train Your Dragon movies. And we did The Guardians and The Croods. So that was a different experience because uh, DreamWorks animation was a bigger place and producing a lot of product. And so they had a certain way of working. But we ended up working closely with the, the lighting people and the layout people and going in and sitting with them, which was fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first film we did there was How to Train Your Dragon. That's really why we got involved at DreamWorks. We went there really just to do that first How to Train Your Dragon film. And that really started, that was interesting because I think the way they worked at DreamWorks was, was quite formulaic, really. They were a little bit stuck in a way of working and um, certainly a way of lighting. And again, it was very much spending time talking about cutting shots, lenses, but also the software they use for lighting. And again, going back to the idea of hard light versus soft light. And while
0: while we were there, as we progressed through that um, time period, the techs came up to me and asked if we could set up a meeting with us so their software programmers could find out how light works because it's one thing to talk to the lighting people and talk about how light works but nobody thinks to talk to the software people so we had this Mm. big meeting and roger um basically went through this whole teaching episode of how what happens if a light hits here what happens and it was actually really really interesting and it made them change their software
1: right for the better also the kind of units that i use on a live action set to create what I feel is a representation of reality. You know, so it's not only the way natural light works. It's funny because years later, just to get ahead of ourselves a little bit, once you got the whole idea of scanning an environment, then suddenly they were going out with, you know, a, a, a virtual reality gathering camera to take all the sort of light from a situation and then put it on their virtual reality piece of animation. And it didn't work, it just doesn't work because you're not actually replicating reality. You can't use a computer to record reality and impose it on something you're creating. You're creating something that is an expression of your own interpretation of it, if if you like. So it was interesting, they sort of veered from not seeing the way light works to going to try and replicate it exactly. You know, It's it's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, it was interesting, too, as the lighting programs changed during our time period. It was interesting that sometimes you would see maybe more of the forest or something, but it was too much because every little branch you saw, and and it took you completely away from whatever was happening in front of camera.
1: Yes, sometimes it's about what you don't like, what you don't see. Mm -hmm. Again, on Wally, at the beginning of Wally, it was a lot about okay. We see the trash maser in the foreground, but we don't need to see the one half a mile away, and we don't need to see the one two miles away. Even we, you know, it can be even less. We can push it even further in the background. So it's about sort of
0: that's actually very true, yeah. also in visual effects, because yeah. sometimes you'll get uh, visual effects, and there are planes in the background. Let's say, and they're far away; they should not be sharp right and should because they've worked so hard on yeah, it and every you know, rivet is perfect
2: to me it felt much deeper watching wally um you talked all this stuff about lighting but from focus poles and the way the camera moves you had talked about and it actually looks like a crane shot or aerials that don't feel like they're just floating but they're really something to them um so it yeah. seems like in but, the atmosphere too like
1: yeah well it's interesting about the camera moves because they had actually taken, they they recorded the kind of the way the camera moves on a dolly on a little crane or something. They recorded that kind of the dynamic of that. So instead of creating that on a computer, they were taking the mechanical way the camera was moving and imposing it on those shots that they were creating in in Wally. So that's why it felt like the camera was moving like a live action camera and not just floating around like a, computer camera and creative camera
0: really made a big difference uh, That opening section of yeah. wally is so interesting and really brings you into the story so quickly
1: yeah it was fun because everybody really embraced it and especially the idea of putting in atmosphere and darkness and, um, and and light changes and like you said and focus pulls why be sharp all the way back you know so you have a big close-up and everything's a really blurred and then suddenly it all comes back into sharpness on the movement or something uh, yeah it's really fun
2: and two, with the atmosphere especially on wally being in a planet that's kind of decrepit or has gone through atmospheric change you're having these different layers and how light reacts and having it it, it just seems almost like recreating the way animation was done for the purpose of getting this movie and pushing the whole field forward
1: yeah i mean it definitely was that's what they 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 certainly wanted to do and that's what basically um dean and chris was met at the time wanted to do on the um, first one on the first how to train your dragon it was kind of interesting because again we started off doing tests for lighting on tests on on certain scene so we had a very basic animation with a character and a very basic set and started lighting it and I wonder w- remember one of the first ones we did was a candlelit scene and and <laughs> it was kind of funny because um <laughs> we really pushed it so you know it would be like what I would do in a live action set frankly and the reaction was like. My God, we don't see the set. You know, it's like a little pool of light There's a candle and a character's face. And as he leans in, it's lit brightly. And he leans back, it disappears. And were, for a while, there was a lot of kickback about that. Well,
0: and it's also true uh, in animation quite a bit. You, if you light moody, which means part of the set might be in shadow, the animators get upset because. They're creating the expressions on the faces that yeah. might be in the shadows and yet you're not going to see them. Yeah. Now. So you get that kind of pushback, which is pretty strong at times.
1: It's a bit a bit like a live action where well, I remember working early in my career, working with production designers that would watch sit watch dailies at the end of the end of a day, shoot, and then watch dailies and say, I can't see my set. Or they or they might not say it to me, they might claim talk to the producer or the director and and say that I can't see my set. Why is there no light in the corner of my set? I built this set and I can't see it. And and that same thing happened in animation when we were at DreamWorks at the beginning. And um, eventually, when this particular candlelit scene, as we developed it and we de- developed other scenes and they went in, um, I knew we'd we'd achieved some, something when we were watching a cut in a screening room one day. Jeffrey Katzenberg would constantly say, I can't see enough. I can't see enough. And one day we're in a screening room There's a screening and he says, I think that scene's too light. And <laughs> we also <laughs> cheered. Yeah. That was the day we thought we'd actually made it, you know, that actually <laughs> okay. we were using light and shadow and we could stretch it now. And for creative reasons, not
0: I think part of the reason, too, is that animation traditionally comes from cartoons for children. So for children, they wanted it bright. They wanted it simple. So it was a different aim. And now they're making these animated films that is really about the story. So I think it's a different. I um, mean,
1: you got to say, I think, How to Train Your Dragon, all three of the films, they were a departure for, for DreamWorks because they're, you know, they're quite adult. All right. They're films for children and young adults mainly, but I mean, they do have something for everybody. They're, they're much more sophisticated than than a lot of the work they've been doing. I think a lot more edgy, should I say? Yeah,
2: That's all fascinating. And it, it brings me to wonder, are you brought in from the get-go and you're working in pre-production and cause that all affects mood, right? So mm. if you come in and, Say, hey guys, this needs to be lit a completely different way. That's taking them back to the beginning. Are you there from the beginning or are you brought in after the fact they're already making a lot of these images? And no,
1: that- we're, we're always brought in. I mean, on Wally, we were brought in as they were starting. It was very much the the whole color scheme, the whole layout, layout of the film, but mainly the opening. Um, in in Rango, I came on before they'd done any animation or anything so that, that very, yeah. very early. And on how to train your dragon, we 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 came in right early on. They were still developing the script and and we we with the production designer and everybody else, we created this whole sort of mood board. You know, it was again it's finding visual references for different scenes, the whole mood of the film. So We spent quite a lot of time doing that before we even started. They even started any animation or any real work.
0: I mean, we're generally there too, where they're doing the design of the characters. So that's always very interesting to see which way they're going to go with the characters. Mm. So it it's a very different process. Animation. Mm. First of all, it takes like three years to make a movie, which is so strange to us they work on a script you read the script and then you don't really see it again because you're they make storyboards and that becomes your guiding
1: post yeah well they call story reels don't they they they're, mm-hmm. they're not even as detailed and sophisticated as storyboards in live action they're uh, basically our little hand drawn cartoons to show the sort of the kind of humor and the kind of flow of the piece not necessarily the shots in, in a strict sense
0: also because during this time process it the story changes a lot it's so bizarre to us they may do a scene and then go "Hmm, that doesn't really work let's change it so this actually happens Um, which i think is the hardest thing for animation directors to deal with when they're actually shooting their first live action because they go Hmm. that scene didn't work so well, so let's just have a different scene. But you can't. You don't have that option. But in animation, you go back and forth a lot. And you also, as you're doing that, because you're viewing things as it goes along, you are doing the voiceover. So you get those actors back in and back in as things change, which is interesting too.
2: Seems much different because You know, on a set, Roger, you'll be used to you can light something. If it doesn't work, you have somebody move a light or you put up something and you get immediate feedback and you see how it changes. With this, it sounds like you help create a scene and then it has to come back from animators and it's days and weeks of going back and forth. It seems like it might take a bit longer, no?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's 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 complicated. It's like James says, sometimes the scene will change from because of a story point, change in the staging of some gag, some piece of humor. Um, in terms of doing the the shots and the lighting, um, we spent quite a lot of time there with the layout guys who are basically staging the camera and a lot of time with the lighters. And okay, it wasn't real time, but sometimes we'd spend the day there and we'd go around the whole shop as it were talking to different lighters
0: who are responsible for different and different scenes.
1: shots yeah and in, in you know first thing in the day we'd look at one and by the end of the day we could come back to them and they would have adjusted things and played with something and tried something else so it was kind of it was a learning kind of curve really for everybody which is kind of interesting and then and then what would happen is um in between us working on live action movies We would go there, and it's always worked out that we've gone there when they've been in early development stage and in stage of doing tests of lighting and the look of the film. And then we would be off on a a live-action film and, and working with them remotely, wouldn't we?
0: I think it was really important, though, to go in in the beginning and meet everyone and actually work a bit with them so they're comfortable enough Because oftentimes when we've come in, they don't know because they haven't had this experience before. How do we react? We can't just send them an email. But of course, that's what we want. Because if you wait too long and it gets etched in stone, you're not going to change it. So we like to be involved every step along the way. So having that one-on-one experience with Roger and myself makes them more comfortable, I think to be able to continue that collaboration remotely.
1: Uh, I remember a very particular scene on when we were doing Rango. Everything we had basically, I thought, worked out pretty well um, before we were off, we were shooting uh, True Grit in uh, New Mexico and then down in Austin, Texas. And I remember Gore ringing up one day because he was like a bit distraught because the scene in the bar, uh, I don't know if you remember, but there's a scene in the bar towards the end of the film and and he said it just not working it was just not working and uh we'd done some references for it and then but then I watched it on the on our dedicated uh server right
0: yeah vpn
1: vpn yeah. and um yeah it, it it was yeah it was a bit confused so basically i took some still frames from the scene put them in photoshop and kind of relit them in a very rough way and and talked to tim in um at ilm and, um, you know, we worked it out remotely. And because we had that relationship, you know, Tim and we'd all worked together so much before, it was quite easy to send those sort of Photoshop references and as a discussion point and and work on that scene. And I, I think the end, end result is pretty, pretty interesting, you know.
0: But you don't really see the final animation until after all the lighting's done, right? Because they need that in order to create the expression they need to know what the lighting of the scene is that they're animating to
1: uh well, that goes hand in hand doesn't it really i mean i think a lot of the time
0: it is but if you're yeah. putting a shadow on what they have to know that ahead of time because they're not going to spend that much time on that face.
1: Well, no, it definitely it definitely helps. I think it depends when the animation's finished and the, the the animation has to be finished before the lighting's signed off. That's for of sure. Course, but yeah. yes, you do a kind of rough pass. Exactly. of maybe just frames in a scene. And then it goes back to animation then comes back to lighting. It's that kind of interchange. Yeah.
2: Working between all these people, it's kind of funny. You mentioned before you'd have different animators. To me, it seems almost like having a different gaffer with different lighting fixtures for every single, to an effect, but they all might have a little bit different way of animating how do you kind of wrangle them and what that make it that's
0: the problem with it too because also they're splitting up scenes sometimes and so you have different people lighting it and that you see sometimes that they they have a different solution Mm -hmm. than the other person and while both are probably good you've got to choose one
1: funny it's like the visual effects supervisor is actually the person in charge of all the lighters So we would have most contact with that person on each of the films. And then together we would go through all the work with whoever was... I mean, whether they were DreamWorks or whether it was remotely to somebody in Canada or, or or ILM or wherever, we would go through the whole kind of look of the film, the kind of style of the lighting, trying to get that all to feel the same. It's the same with um, layout. So different people doing different scenes have a different feel of the camera. So if you're not careful, you'll find one scene is all shot on an 18mm and the next scene's all shot on a 65 and one scene's all static and the other arbitrarily so and the next scene is you know all camera movements so then suddenly the film doesn't feel of a piece you know so it's really important to to really to get that sort of sense of continuity
2: can you guys break down for anyone who doesn't know just the difference between how they have different dps somebody in charge of lighting somebody in charge of well that's actually
0: really interesting that was the hardest thing to get our head around in the beginning is that layout is camera and lighting is lighting. What?
1: Yes. I, 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 th- that sort of was weird because they were totally separate. And, you know, I, f- I mean, I feel the way I work in live action is i f- partly why I operate apart from anything else is that I get a sense of what I want to play in shadow, what I want to play in light, where I want the camera, what the kind of balance of the frame is. Whereas in animation, it's separate. And that was one of the first things we tra- it wasn't so much on. On Rango, because it was all being done in ILM, and they were all next door to each other, and Tim was in overall responsibility for it all, so that seemed more coordinated. But at DreamWorks, it was very much, uh, um, I, you know, a fractured structure where people didn't really relate to one another. So the, the story reel would go to layout and then they would work the shots out and then those shots would go to lighting. And there wasn't any sort of discussion about whether, well, we could play this as a silhouette. Why don't we play it in a profile? We don't need to see overs. You know what I mean? There was none of that to and fro. And it's still a little bit like that. It's it's hard to uh, overcome that kind of...
0: When, when you're starting out on a s- sequence in layout and f- in our next part the layout guy will explain much more but the animation is rough to say the least they call it the lego pass because it's just like things that kind of look like legos moving yeah, around blocks, where yeah. the, where the characters are going to be so you're not even dealing with a the real thing you're having to Imagine what that character is going to look like.
1: Yeah. Like that, that is the Lego pass is, is more for um, for shot construction. Yes. And, that's and where what the I cuts just said. are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Than it is lighting. Yeah. And then
0: during the process of creating this film, you oftentimes screen the movie, which means you're seeing some storyboards and then a really rough layout pass. You know, you're seeing whatever you have and then a couple of shots that are perfect because they've already gone through that. So it's interesting seeing the um, ongoing progression of the movie. But it's interesting, and I personally would love to see more of the sort of adult-oriented animation that also pushes the envelope visually. I'd love to see more of that done. And yeah. I think in a way maybe because of all of this that's happening and because you can, it's so easy to work remotely in animation, maybe we'll see something interesting come up. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I think animation's got stuck in this like pseudo-realism. Yes. Oh, that's know? the other and, thing. And yeah. they, <clears throat> everything is pushing towards more and more photorealistic images. And then you see a film like, I don't know, Wolfs with year, which I remember as being quite stunning, which is basically line drawing animation. And and you think, well why can't why can't there be a blend? Why does it have to be so ultra realistic these days it's um i think that's disappointing because there's so many variations in animation
0: they have pushed too far towards realism and it looks creepy and oh god the children will be scared but they also one of the things they do which kind of drives me crazy but they say they have to is the eyes are always so big but they say that's necessary to Get the character that if it's small, it doesn't work. I don't know. I've never seen animation with small eyes, but
1: well, I think again, it's to push it away from the what they call uncanny valley, <laughs> where something is so real but not quite real, so it's mm, disturbing. It's more like something out of outer limits.
0: Raj, what do you think the future of animation is?
1: <laughs> well, I think it's got a big future right now because everybody can work at home. <laughs> I do think it's been, it's happening it's been happening so much in the last 20 years that the 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 confusion of live action and animation and i I really think that's where it's going you're not gonna you're not gonna tell the t- well you can't now tell the two some action sequences and like a man or something uh, what, uh there's uh, a
0: lot of animation in it yeah, yeah.
1: I've been done totally anim- animated mm-hmm. characters and uh, animated everything's. A big, you know, big stunt is all animated. It's, there's no live action element in it. So,
0: Well, yeah. I think also it's interesting because I tend to find that European animation can be much more daring and bold and interesting. Yeah. And I remember there used to be some oh, years and years ago, some show on PBS that had world animation on it, just shorts. But it was really wonderful. And that's what maybe yeah, we should look for. Yeah, I mean, exactly. What... You look
1: at what the Canadian Film Board used to do years mm-hmm. and years ago. It was a stunning animation. And and I say, in, in, in Hollywood, which is where we've only worked with animation.
0: And I think How to Train Your Dragon was interesting, especially the first one, because... It had something there for adults, and that people really responded to that because they had to take their kids to mm, the mm. Um, movies, but then they enjoyed it too.
1: I think it I mean Wally changed it as well, you know, because Wally was quite dark.
0: Yes, um, yes.
1: You know, I mean, we probably would have done it even darker than Andrew did. I think <laughs> Andrew Stanton, the director, wanted it dark, darker than it actually ended up. Um, it was still pretty dark. You know, and to about adult. I mean, Rango was pretty adult in a sense as well, wasn't oh, it? You Oh, know?
0: Rango was great. And it was also kind of uh, using influences from old films, from westerns, from yeah. this. And one shot where the sun's behind him and everything. It just great.
1: It was a great blend of... Um, of old film, you know, westerns about, you know, classic kind of western sequences, you know, whether it's The Searches or, you know, uh, behind planes, drift or whatever, you know, it was like really blends of different westerns in um in this kind of you know children's story about this <laughs> little animal. You know, I thought it was really really great actually.
0: And Matt, I've got a question for you. Do you watch much animation?
1: oh uh, Well, I watched Wally last night.
2: So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Smart guy. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I, I definitely do. I I think it's something that it kind of bridges the gap between being just for kids or something that might be for adults in knowing nothing about how it gets made it's certainly a fascinating process to learn about the back and forth and that it does take two or three years yeah
1: i mean they uh, they they do the story reel before they sign off on the movie and i think that because they have to get a sense of how it's going to work visually i can understand that it's it's not like reading a live action film where you can envisage what it's going to be you know um have you
2: guys seen the new, um John Favreau just did one. Are they live action or are they animated? I wanted um, to talk about that, but I don't know how to bring it up. Well, well, well I think
0: you just did. This is good. <laughs> this well, mixture. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think it's, it's a good point. Where's it going? I mean, that's the thing. Do you call Lion King? Is that animation? Was it live action? What is it? Is I mean, it, it's, mm-hmm. it, it is this kind of supernaturalism um i'm not sure where it sits or or, i mean you know the life of pi was kind of virtually animated wasn't it i mean you know the main character was was live action but um but largely the film was animated one could say
0: yeah i think it also depends on the amount that's animated and the amount that's real. Because a lot of times if there's a lot of animation in a movie, then the live action part is done more like animation in that they might shoot people against blue screen and just stick a background on it instead of going to that place and shooting a scene as you would do in a movie.
1: Yeah, but it's a mix, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. on Lion King, Caleb went to Africa and shot all those. But he shot the
0: backgrounds, and, and, yeah.
1: Yeah, and but then, then you and shoot then, the actors separately. But matching to the backgrounds, mm-hmm. so that's why they needed somebody like Caleb to do it, really, to make sure those things blended. Or, or Jungle Book, same. That was.
2: Didn't Caleb have some type of stage with a either a virtual or a real
1: camera, and they're that- moving around with city? Yeah. Study- yeah, yeah, he was using a real camera to try and imitate a live action shot within that world. I, you know, it's it was a bit like what we were doing on Wally at the beginning. You know, the trying to embrace the live action tech technology to give you give the audience the feeling of that kind of filmmaking. But
0: well, one of the things too is when you're sh- actually shooting it, and if you're shooting a lot against blue screen and everything, I think it affects the performances. I really do. I, I think. For the actors having that world and reality around them helps them a lot with whatever they're trying to portray.
1: Absolutely. But but what kind of film? We were talking about a live action film, but that's what I say. The blend between what's live and mm-hmm. action, what's animated that's... is is gone, isn't it? Really? I thought one of the best uses of kind of animation and live action film was that what was it called? something nine that's shot in south africa about the district aliens. district district nine. nine and district nine i thought movie. was a great movie and it, that was a great blend of animation and live action it well, felt like a live action film but i don't know how they did it i didn't actually read much about it
0: well it, a lot of it was a, a live action yes yeah, it, no was but just the, the, the aliens shrimp. were so yeah.
1: brilliant i mean
0: and, but that was interesting because the movie itself was not slick. I mean, no. it was definitely shot on a budget and all of that. But because I think part of it is because the story was so good. You right. were completely into it. And you could have lost everything when you saw this giant shrimp walking towards you, but it worked.
1: No, it was brilliant. It oh, yeah. was really brilliant. That was one of the few that you really kind of believed it.
2: Well, like you said, we're kind of getting into that blend of it's a live-action film, but there's so much CG and stuff where you can't tell that difference. And yeah. maybe it's as long as you, as long as long the story is still good, maybe it doesn't matter, and bridging that gap I is I agree.
1: I think it comes down to if the story's any good, it doesn't matter that some things are wrong about it. I mean, some of my favorite movies, like Army of the Shadows, There's some effect shots in it where, you know, uh, the plane flying across the channel from France to England or back or whatever, or guy parachuting out of it. It's a silly little model and it's really cheesy. But as Melville says, he didn't want to spend the money on that shot. He wanted to spend it on the scenes that he thought were important. That was just a shot to say... He's now flying from A to B. He wasn't going to go there. And I think that's absolutely right. You just let it go by because it's it doesn't distract from the story because the story is so strong.
0: And there was an opportunity for you to talk about um, Outer Limits. And I, was, I was but actually going to it this that. I <laughs> was
1: going to talk about that because, you know, yeah. Some oh, of those, here we go. I'm so oh, sorry, Some guys. of those old 50s science fiction films or 60s science fiction films, now you look at them. Uh, technically, yes, they're terrible. The animation's terrible, the effects or whatever. But the story is so strong that you just, it's fine. It just washes over you. Because it, as Conrad Hall always said, it's story, story, story.
0: It really is story. And remember that movie? I don't know if it was shot on an iPhone. It might have been before iPhones, but it was Celebration. And I think it was Danish, maybe. But yeah,
1: yeah. That, the um, terrible
0: uh, quality. Uh, that Anthony Don. Dog- Wonderful film. Andy
1: Doug Mantle shot it on a very early um, digital camera. Yeah. I forget which camera it was now. But yeah, Celebration. It was really brilliant.
0: Yeah. But that's because the story was so amazing. It just, it was, you finished that movie and you were kind of in shock. I turned to the person that was with us and said, my God, that was like dinner with my family. And the look on his face of horror, who am I sitting with that has a family like that? Mm,
1: you know, mm. But it,
0: it was that strong of a movie
1: yeah it, was in, yeah, it was interesting I was just reading about this film uh, Made in the 50s Called Chronicle of Summer A documentary shot in Paris one summer By um, Jean Roush And a sociologist whose name I forget And it's well known Because it was the first time That a, a lightweight a camera Like it was made by Eclair a lightweight 16mm camera was synced up with a lightweight tape recorder which was a nagra which was it was the first time that that was really done so the filmmakers went out on the street with light equipment making this documentary you know real time sync sound and and there was quite a departure and and it might not sound like this references animation but it does because it's all the technology is just used as a way of making a film and expressing something in a different manner. And that film Chronicle of Summer was like a milestone in filmmaking, although I don't think it's a particularly great film now. You look at it and think it's whatever, but um, it it really helped the development of storytelling in a different, send it in a different way, you know? And that's the thing, animation allows you to do different things. It allows you to do sort of District Nine or Lion King you know whatever you feel of either of them in terms of the 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 whether they're great works or not it does it opens up a whole different you know wider field of story making as uh, storytelling which is that's great isn't it right
0: and i think that sometimes we have a prejudice against animation just because we think about mickey mouse and bugs bunny and and c- cartoons when in actuality it really has progressed a lot and there's such an opportunity to tell a wonderful story, if you have a great story, yeah. and push the, the boundaries of animation if you're willing to.
1: And it's, it's like, where is that blend? Remember on Skyfall, when we wanted to do this scene on this island that was off Japan, there uh, used to be a big coal mine on this island near Japan. Um, that was totally polluted. People go there, but just as tourists. And we wanted to shoot there. Our location manager went there and shot some still frames of this place. And then when it came to us and production meeting discussing whether we would go to shoot there, it was like, oh no, it's going to cost a couple of million dollars or something for a crew to go there and shoot these shots. And I was talking with Sam and we looked at these still frames and I said, well, because I now got experience in animation, and everything else, I talked to the the effects supervisor and said, "Well, why can't we animate those frames and put our characters in? Why do we have to go there? We can use what we've already got, which is you know, photographs done on a D seven or whatever it was, and and that's what we did. Uh, you know, so it's the technology gives you the opportunity to do something you couldn't do any other way.
0: So this was part one of the animation." episodes and part two will be coming shortly with the layout and lighting people. Thanks for listening. If you want more information and further discussion, check out the forums at rogerdeacons.com. Becoming a member is free and you can ask follow-up questions there. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast for more new questions and topics. Also, check us out on Instagram at team.deacons. See you next time.